Warning, spoilers ahead. Look, Melissa, just stay here with us. It's not my style. Don't go out there! Fuck you. No, no, fuck you both! Good evening, and welcome to television. Hello. 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 Hey. hey. I'm Wayne Stellini, and welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. And joining me today is the one and only Kendall Richardson. Hey, Kendall. Hello, Wayne. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure and lovely to see you back in the studio. Yes. Ready to talk films today. Hell yes. Yes. I'm very excited. Can't do it without you. Not these fearsome Fridays. No, no. Yep. That's right. Wouldn't be the same. No. Well, and you know, I've said it before, say it a million times. I'm a scaredy cat. Need you with me to hold my hand. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A lot of hand holding at the moment. A lot moment. of hand holding at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> So, Wayne, what are we going to be discussing today? Well, today we're reviewing the all-round horror icon John Carl Beeklow's 1988 supernatural slasher, Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood. Please explain. Attempting to escape her abusive home, Tina Shepard, Jennifer Banco, begins to cross Crystal Lake on a boat. When her father, John Ottron, attempts to stop her, Tina's dormant telekinetic abilities surface, resulting in Mr. Shepard's unintentional drowning. Years later, an adolescent Tina, Laura Park Lincoln, and her mother Amanda, Susan Blue, return to the lakeside residence as a part of her treatment from psychiatrist Dr. Cruz, Terry Kaiser. When an intense session upsets Tina, she runs to the lake wishing for her father's return. However, her powers unwittingly awaken mass murderer Jason Voorhees, Kane Hodder, who had been chained to the bottom of Crystal Lake since his encounter with Tommy Jarvis, Tom Matthews in the previous instalment, and he emerges from the water to commit another killing spree. Unfortunately for a group of teens who are throwing a birthday party for their friend next door to the Shepherd residence, they begin disappearing one by one. Friday the 13th Part 7 The New Blood was intended to be a crossover film between Jason Voorhees and fellow horror icon Freddy Krueger, whose Nightmare on Elm Street series was grossing nearly twice the amount of the Friday films, which were seeing diminishing box office returns. The project was abandoned when Paramount Pictures and New Line Cinema were unable to come to an agreement. Screenwriter Daryl Haney's idea of a final girl with telekinetic powers launched the production that was shot, edited, scored and released within five months. So Kendall, did you grab your soap on a rope for Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood? (laughs) (laughs) I can think of a few things I'd like to grab. (laughs) My throat for making you watch this, No, no, no. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, Okay. Initial thoughts. Well, initial thoughts. Well, the five-month... From conception to release makes a lot of sense <laughs> now. Yeah. Um, having watched this. Um, yeah, look, this might be the worst one so far. Ooh. I think. Really? Wow. I, I think so. Okay. I I had a lot of issues with it, which we'll, we'll go into. Yeah, um, sure we will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah. Like, it wasn't... a. Like, I wasn't bored out of my mind or I wasn't, like, you know, like, finding every single part of it atrocious. It was just... 
there were just a lot of bits in the writing and some mm. of the performances that uh, and the and I'm, I was going to save it for later, but for a movie called The New Blood, yes. there's not a lot of blood here. I, you know, I love that you mentioned that. And we'll talk about <laughs> that later, later on. Yeah. But also, uh, it's a great reference to uh, one of the nicknames that this movie has. Oh, yeah. Out of all of the Jason films, this one has a lot of nicknames. Oh. Yeah, based oh. on production. Okay. Um, yeah, amongst fans and amongst crew members as well. We'll go through them as we go on. Amazing. I look <laughs> you, forward to you it. You foreshadowed. Oh, good. <laughs> I love a good foreshadowing. Yeah, you've done well. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. A lot of problems with story? Yeah, well, not so much story. Like, the, the story was worked well enough and I accepted it for what it was. I'm mm. like, okay, well... You know, it's a it's a slasher movie. Yeah. There's going to be young adults or teenagers that are just going to be lined up for slaughter. Mm. Essentially, that's going to happen. I like the introduction of a supernatural element with yeah. having Tina have these you know telekinetic powers, these you know this ability to resurrect Jason. Like that all kind of worked for me. But just certain certain bits in the dialogue, I think, is where the movie suffered the most. Yeah. For okay. Me. Yeah. Alrighty. So if we go overall, and if you like, let's let's we'll dive into some of the problems you had with the dialogue um, and then we'll talk about the characters and the performances yeah, sure. uh, as we go along mm-hmm. so you know no secret this was the first failed attempt to get um, Freddie and Jason together right. won't happen for another 15 years mm. and who else could we could we do and when we're thinking telekinetic powers we're thinking Kerry yeah right very much. Um, so I you know it's it's one of the nicknames here's the first one Jason versus Kerry ah, okay, okay. Um, is it for what they could do, I suppose, and mm-hmm. because they couldn't get Freddy Krueger. Mm. Um, and look, I give them kudos. They didn't try to create uh, a rival for Jason that was like Freddy. I think that would have cost way too much time and yeah. effort and taken away from you know the killing machine himself of Mr. Voorhees. Mm-hmm. But for what they've got and what they've delivered, do you think that this... Jason for Carrie, if you will, is a successful substitute for a Jason versus Freddy. Oh my God. Um, Based on where both franchises are at this stage, if you will. I mean, I I think it's, I think it works well enough. Like that they were like, you know, it's, it's because they could have easily gone in the direction of, okay, we can't get um, Freddy, but let's create a character that Mm. has his exact same power yeah, or a very similar to. So I think they've done a good job of like, meeting halfway with having Tina's abilities Mm. and what she can do. I think that works. But in terms of like, uh, as a, like a, a, an opposition to um, Jason, I mean, by, by the end, it was, I think for me not to get into the ending really, but just um, there was a lot of repetitiveness with like, she's, she's using her abilities to, uh, you know, what she thinks is great effect and what we maybe think for a second is great effect. But then, you know, there's still time left in the movie. So you're like, cause there's a lot of fake out deaths. Yes. Yeah. There's like three or four of them, I think. And so that became a bit, okay, let's, let's, let's do something a bit better in terms of that. Cause it was, you know, and then just certain things that she was doing to attack him, certain moves, like the move with the nails, mm. like that's cool. Didn't pay off for me visually and it didn't pay oh. off for me in terms of like the effect it had on him because by that point, like, you know, she's dropped a house on him. <laughs> yeah. She's, you know, electrocuted him. Yeah. And now we have nails and it's like, you know, it's like you even had a little chuckle when that moment when he like pulls the, the, the cord from around him, yeah. throws it down. It's like, you're really still trying to kill me? Like, yeah. I, yeah, I do have to say, and you know, this will go into the performances, 
But I just love that, you know, we've not really seen Jason that receptive for a really long time. Mm -hmm. You know, what I loved about it was like, you're pissing me off, girl. (laughs) Yeah, you can see it. I, you know, I I have to say the chuckle is because I loved it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, But for you, it was kind of like, Tina, up your game, man. Yeah. (laughs) You're just, you're just, you're just pissing him off. (laughs) (laughs) You're not helping. (laughs) Not going to help somebody who's just intent to kill you. Yeah. Exactly. It was very tit for tat almost. Yeah, yeah. a little bit, a little bit. So, yeah. but it, but it wasn't not entertaining. Yeah, like there was just too repetitive for you. Yes, I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty. Well, um, overall, then you know we've, we've just mentioned a little bit there about uh, Jason and, and and Tina. I have to jump straight to Jason Voorhees because this marks the debut of Kane Hodder. Yeah. yeah. So now originally CJ Graham, who had played Jason in Part Six, was lined up here, mm-hmm. but our director. Uh, John Colin Beekler was like, I've worked with this guy in my previous film, Prison. And he's like, this guy's amazing. He's the one I want. So he pushed for Kane Hodder to be uh, Jason. And Kane got cast. Yep. And, and Kane is the most famous actor to play Jason mm, and mm-hmm. um, is the only one who will play him more than once. Amazing. Yeah. So fan favorite Kane Hodder here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. And, and I just have to say, I love that. I love the, the way that Kane performs Jason here. It's, you get a sense of personality because mm-hmm. he's not only just a reanimated zombie, if you will. You know, we've mentioned that he was a revenant. Now you can't mm. really, you know, you can't kill him. You can only temporarily uh, put him aside, even though Tommy had thought that he did what he had to do. And let's yep. be honest, had Tina not been mucking around, <laughs> she, he, that's where he would still be to yeah, this day, right? That's right. So I love that there is that sort of personality that comes out. And, and Kane plays him so well. Um, I have to say, the aesthetic of Jason is just beautiful. Fantastic. The, just yeah. the sp- you can see his spine. I love, you can I love see, that. And even when he's got the mask on, you can see a bit of his jaw. Just I don't, Everything about Jason is gorgeous. I love that he has his chain around his neck mm. for the whole film. It's like this necklace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just everything, everything about the, the Jason's aesthetic and performance here for me is yep. perfection. Yeah. Um, compared to the previous Jasons, who I really liked. You know, I, I liked the incarnations and the performances of Jason before, but... Gosh, Kane's amazing, right? Yes, he really yeah. is. Yeah, and I recognized his name. So when it popped, I saw it pop up in the credits. I was like, oh my God, here we go. Yeah. You know? So that that was exciting. And then just, yeah, like you, you said about, you know, just the visual um, presentation of how he looks in this is just excellent. Like mm-hmm. the, the prosthetic work, the makeup work that they've done to really like make him this believable walking corpse is just really well done. Like I love the effect of the spine coming, you know, even the, you can see his ribs yeah. as well and, and the jaw. Like I think for me, the only time it lost me was when he, the mask comes off Yeah, and like his teeth and the, it's all a, it's all a bit exaggerated okay. for me. Like I think it was like, slight, like it was fine. Yeah. He's still intimidating and scary looking and all of that. But for me, it didn't work as well as when he had the mask on. The mask is magic. I mean, yeah. yeah no, it's, it's the monster you can't really see. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. 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 So you do always run that risk. Yeah. And he's without the mask for a while. That's, you know, it's yeah. like the longest that he's been without a mask. Definitely. Uh, so that's a risk. Yeah. The, uh, effects were great on this. The makeup was fantastic. Yeah, such a good job. Um, the colorization of his eye mm, mm, was mm-hmm. really, really good. Um, I just feel like, gosh, Jason would smell so badly. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> just everything foul. about him yeah. would be disgusting. It, especially that moment when, like, you know, Tina's trying to melt his head or whatever. Yes. And you see all the pus and blood and stuff coming out. Disgusting. Gross. I was having, like, oh, yeah. moment. So I always find it interesting that when Jason's creeping up behind someone... They don't smell him, or they yeah. think he's somebody else. I just love that the smell. Oh my God. You know what it is? Yeah. The smell of Jason is never acknowledged. That's well, like yeah, probably you... not until Freddy versus Jason that maybe there's some sort of acknowledgement. <laughs> that's, that's amazing! Wow, you just pointed out like yeah. the greatest thing. I reckon. Oh, Jason must be having some supercharged cologne that he's not yeah. telling anyone about, right? It's part of being a revenant. I know? reckon. Yeah, he can just sort of lock all of that out uh, but jason's main foe this time round, we're on her side yes. tina played by laura park lincoln mm-hmm. uh i like tina as a character mm-hmm. and i think laura park lincoln does a good job but i've always found her performance a bit uneven for me agree i think when she nails it she does it really well yeah. but yeah a little i don't think the strongest final girl no um, no in not, terms of not. performance uh-uh. there uh-huh. want to unpack tina there yeah yeah i mean i felt very similarly like just you know um she she has a good screen presence mm. you know she doesn't feel out of place like she feels suited to the character and the yeah. role she's playing it's just certain Time, certain bits of dialogue that's delivered is just either too much or not enough mm. or it just doesn't sound right like yeah so it's just it's it's like you said it's just kind of uh, there's a lack of consistency in her performance yeah a bit of an un- uneven delivery I yeah guess. and i think that's probably how you know she's either being directed or her interpretation of of, of that character Interestingly, her leading man, <laughs> played by Kevin Blair, so Nick, yes. I think he's strong consistently. He's one of 100%. my favourite final boys. Yeah. Does a, an amazing job. He was great. Yeah. 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 Just, um, just an all-round nice guy too. Yeah. A really sweet guy. Yeah. One thing that I really like what they did with the dynamic between uh, Tina and Nick was I like that even though... Nick just doesn't sort of stay back the whole time. Like, you know, he makes attempts, Mm. uh, you know, even like shooting Jason at the end and stuff. Mm. But I love that his role is what, if this were a big budget action movie, a big blockbuster, his role would be the feminine role Mm. because he just gets thrown, pushed and knocked out. Mm. Um, You know, he's even, you know, hiding behind Tina, you know, at, at, Point because he acknowledges she's got this power and stuff and i just i don't know i just feel like the way that their dynamic works mm-hmm. is really interesting and uncommon for the genre for sure you know i think especially because he's a strong character within his own right but his choices humanize him mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. and i feel like and it's look it's a combination to the way he's written to the way he's directed and absolutely to the way this character is performed he's just a real person yeah and i think one of the most realistic characters to be honest because most of Easily. these kids don't have opportunities to develop right? no, no um, sadly you know but sometimes even even the final guy especially doesn't get a lot of developments. Like, you know, when we think about part two, part mm. three, mm. not always a lot of room to breathe mm. because the focus is solely on the final girl and, and her journey. Yeah. But I don't know. I just feel like Nick is such a well-rounded character. And my favorite moment with him actually is when he and Tina are talking by the lake and they're throwing rocks. Yeah. And yeah. he gives his backstory in four sentences 
and it's just beautiful it's mm. always been my favorite moment from kevin blair just because again it just feels so natural yeah and we learn everything we need to know about him he backs it up with his actions throughout the film mm-hmm. but you know he says where he grew up hung out with the wrong crowd dad kicked me out and now i go to night school what a brilliant summer i just for me that just feels like real dialogue yeah you know um not all the dialogue felt real to you though no and some, <laughs> some of it was really laughable um before we go on to that though uh do you have thoughts about kevin blair yeah oh he was my favorite yeah i i really liked him a lot and you everything you've just said i agree with 100 percent um looking at him just on first appearance you know who he he reminded me of christopher reeve right he had this tall man he's got the hair he's Mm. got the you know kind face like he just had that kind of similar presence and down-to-earthness about him yeah and a charm to him and i love i love when movies do the thing of like you know he's a good looking guy and you've got this mean girl that's into him right and you think the movie's gonna go oh he's a jock he's a he's a douche and he's gonna go along with her or whatever but he was authentic and more realistic for it being like someone that was just he never judged tina Mm. he never like despite what she told him what he saw you know they weren't his friends yeah that's i guess another point to it like you know they were not his friends yeah he was there for his cousin yeah so you know you're getting that vibe from him as well but like i just love the fact that he they really just made him a nice guy and especially because of how tina first responds to him because she's had a lot of trauma so i'd say she's very untrusting of people and probably men specifically when you consider like how her father was Mm -hmm. that he was abusive you've got bad news crews (laughs) (laughs) such a villain a wonderful villain you know who she doesn't get along with as well so she would have this untrusting of of men and here's this guy's being really genuine but she's still standoffish Mm. but she you know can see that he's coming from a good place yeah you know when he returns the top that she leaves behind Folded. Thank you. He <laughs> washed it and folded it. Perfectly folded. Oh, yeah. Bless he's, him. Yeah, he's such a sweet guy. He's, he's, yeah, he's so good. So I was like on tender hooks the whole time yeah. expecting him to be killed because, mm. you know, traditionally you just have your final girl yeah, or you right. have one person left, right? That's right. So I was so relieved because if they had killed him, I would have given this a zero out of five. <laughs> So justice for Nick. Justice for Nick. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there was almost that bit of uh, risk of that happening or leaving it ambiguous at the end with the ambulance, <laughs> yeah. right? Because we were getting part two vibes. Yeah. When Ginny's like, where's Paul? It's like, he's fine, but we never see him. Yeah. You know, and we just assume they're just, you know, saying, there, you know, he's okay. or just not acknowledging it at all. Yeah. But yeah, but I, yeah, I was very happy mm-hmm. that Nick survived. And look, I'll be honest, I would say, and I'm going to take. Tommy Jarvis out of it because he is just a hero in itself, regardless of which incarnation uh, we see. But Nick's definitely my favorite final boy easily. I mean, like what we just said in, in, in a film that doesn't even go for 90 minutes, that doesn't really give a lot of time for character development. But you've got the two leads here who are quite well-rounded. Yeah. Um, and in some elements, and maybe it's just because of the way that Nick is as a character, I sometimes feel like he's even more fleshed out than Tina is. Yeah, I, and, I might agree with yeah, that. Yeah, and he can sort of bring that to the table. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, Laura Park Lincoln and Kevin Blair 
did not get along at all. Oh, no. During filming. <laughs> oh, no. They did not get along. Oh. Happy ending, though. They met years later at uh, a convention. Okay. And struck up conversation. Yep. And have been very close friends ever since. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. So okay. we just, I think it's just put down to the pressures that they were feeling during production. Yeah. Because it was a, a very quick Tight. production there. Yeah. yeah. And I think playing Tina was a... Challenging role? I think so, yeah. Like uh, the, the stories that, you know, because Tina does a lot of crying yeah. uh, in the film that just those scenes gave her like intense headaches and, and things like that. So, yeah. So okay. I, I, I love that, you know, the fact that they didn't quite get along. I mean, it doesn't look like that they were hostile to one another. No, no. But just probably not the rapport that you see on screen. Yeah. But I love that you don't see it on screen no no you know you can, Ta- some, you can see that talent there sometimes you can see <laughs> people don't like each other but they, but no it looks like that you know you, you wouldn't know it and you believe them as mm. uh you know as as a couple and, yeah. and as a as a love interest there uh, their interactions are lovely they are um and i know we've, you know talked about dialogue a bit but you know their their dialogue between each other again feels quite authentic and quite sweet it does you yeah. know like you can see they both have vulnerabilities Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, whilst it's not delved into with Nick, I guess he's even got some trauma there as well, just yeah. based on his brief backstory there. And the mm-hmm. fact that he's quite strong, that he doesn't put up with Melissa's rubbish. Yeah. Um, speaking of dialogue, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> Played by Susan Jennifer Sullivan. <laughs> now, before you launch, <laughs> I just want to say, I just want to say... Mm. Can we give her an award for best way to offer dip to somebody? <laughs> I was like, you're not going to do it. I'm going to do it. And uh, go. And go. <laughs> dip. That was, oh, oh my God. Isn't it not yes. one of the greatest moments yeah. in cinematic history? <laughs> and we've seen quite a few in this franchise, but this is up yeah, there. Yeah, I know. This is definitely... <laughs> Oh man! It's so you know. It's so strange. Yeah. Like, I think she's a good actress. Like I don't think she's a bad actress. Like yeah. I, 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 I believed a lot of her stuff. But yeah. again, I just. So I think it's. I think it might just be the direction or the again the dialogue mm. that just let her down. But like, just she did the best with what she had. But because I think she had a very good presence. Yeah. On screen, but I think for me, it just the way she acted (laughs) like not the actress herself but the way the character acted about like you know how she just kept trying to get nick yeah even though he clearly had no interest yeah zero interest this is like you know daddy's girl that just gets everything she wants if she wants nick she will have nick right yeah and very manipulative very manipulative and then the fact that like you know she let things go so far with Eddie. Yeah. Like that far and then go, oh wait, sorry, this is not gonna work out for me. Yeah. I, you know, I was doing it to make Nick jealous. Yeah. And you know, so she hurts this guy's feelings mm. like really badly. Yeah. And it just kind of felt for me it's like mm, I don't I don't think that's how you like He's not watching through the fucking window. <laughs> just hoping he would just like, you know, walk like, in. Yeah. But the thing is, he is like, it's funny though. You know what though? If we want to unpack it a little bit. <laughs> and I know automatically, Kendall, I can see in your face, you go, Wayne, you're already going to give too much credit. <laughs> to this is going to be another pan situation, isn't it? <laughs> but if we want to unpack this a little bit, right? Mm. 
it says a lot about her character. She is so self-centered mm-hmm. that even though Nick is obsessed with Tina, glued to her essentially, always looking for her, asking about her, standing up for her, she still believes that Nick will just come into this bedroom, maybe looking for Tina or just maybe even looking for Melissa herself and get jealous that she's there with Eddie. Because again, whatever she wants, she gets, right? You know, she had the the pearls that daddy had gotten her. Yeah, yeah. And doesn't take no for an answer, clearly doesn't care whose feelings she hurts. But I mean, like, she is this very stereotypical socialite, Mm. you know, daddy's money gets whatever she wants spoiled brat yeah and you're right susan jennifer sullivan plays this up so much like she leans into this energy oh. so much and by all accounts she's a really lovely person like she got along with everyone was oh, a sure. really sweet woman mm-hmm. uh, so this i guess would have been really fun to play then yeah, for yeah her, i yeah. think you can tell she's having fun I how it's almost like how could you not right? yeah <laughs> <laughs> dip <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's just, and everything is so <laughs> over the top. Yeah. I mean, I think she does a good job. I think, again, it's probably sometimes a bit of an uneven performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But she's a fun villain yeah, yeah. in this film. In a film that's got quite a few villains when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Bad News Cruise is one of them. Oh. Terry Kaiser is Dr. Cruise. What do you reckon? Okay. I... I don't. I don't get his what the, what his deal mm. was, right? Because I, in any scenario, I do not see bringing Tina to the place her father died as a way to help with her treatment, help with her recovery, or yeah. whatever you're trying to do. And like you know, we see him encouraging and not shunning her abilities. So I'm like, what's your end game here? Mm. Like clearly you're, you're not on the level. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's for selfish reasons, which is what Amanda, Tina's mother, confronts him about when she's in the office and seeing everything. It's yeah. kind of like, well, you just want to exploit this telekinetic power yeah. and use it for yourself somehow and maybe to research about telekinesis or something. It's not delved into what he wants to do with it. But like you've said, we know it's not about Tina's welfare. No. And he gets caught caught out on it. He does. But then we go from that to straight away looking for Tina. So it isn't explored further. Yeah, and I think it's at the detriment to the film, to be honest. Do you think if it was explored further, he would have been more of a villain? Yeah. There's I, no redemption for this guy, right? I don't think so either. Yeah. But I think, I think yeah, it would have been... Because, like, you need to... If you, you have a villain... I mean, apart from Jason, obviously, because... Mm. You know, this is the seventh movie. Mm. We know his bag. We know what he's about, right? He doesn't need this massively motivational backstory for what he's doing. We've had it. It's fine. It's it's done. But but you're introducing a new antagonist here and you're kind of half-assing it. Like you're not going the whole hog and explaining what he wants to do. Yeah. What he's... The point... Like... Because, like, you know, you, you come in and you realize, you know, you see that he's the shard, that shard, yeah. that spike or whatever. He's, like, it was legitimately there. Mm. He took it and hid it, yep. you know? And then, but then he's, like, and this is one of my, di- the dialogue issues I had. It was, like, he, then he goes on to tell Tina that he believes her. And then immediately she's, like, no, you don't believe me. And I'm, like, but he just said you <laughs> that he does. Why are you, like, like, you don't understand, like, and I'm, like, Okay. It probably reflects the distrust she has in him, though. I, I guess. You know, because she hates him from the get-go. Yeah, you know? she does. But then there's another moment, too, when 
she goes out to, you know, she's after like, you know, having that heated session mm. and then she inadvertently resurrects Jason. She's thinking about her father. She's thinking yeah. about her father. That's the whole point. And when she comes back in and explains what's happened, Cruz calls her on it and says, you know, it's, it's about your dad. And she goes, it's not. Yes. And I'm like, but it is. Though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like that's yeah. confusing as well. So, but, but yeah, but not to go off on a tangent, but, but basically yeah. I feel like if they had a spent a little bit more time, like you didn't need a huge amount of time, but I just would have liked to have understood what Cruz was about mm. a bit more. And it would have made him a bit more nefarious, a bit more of that villain. Uh, you're like, you could hate him a bit more, but then I suppose a half ass thing for a half ass death makes a bit more, <laughs> makes it a bit more satisfying than I suppose. Cause Ouch. if they, if they'd made him more epic, I would have been more disappointed. Yeah. So. But yeah. anyway, what about that moment though, where he uses uh, Tina's mum Amanda as a human shield? That though? was, yeah, that was, that was a good moment in terms of fuck you. You're, yeah. You're the worst person in this movie. Yeah. And there's Jason right there. I really, yeah, I felt so bad for her mum. Um, yeah. That was terrible but yeah but yeah so he's 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 bad bad news cruise for a reason 100 percent. but yeah mm. and you know and and tina's mum played by susan blues they're uh not a fully fledged character no. she's kind of but i feel like she's a good support for tina yeah as well at the same time as keeping cruise at bay when he sort yeah. of needs to be like she's protecting her the whole way through, but still wants him to be, yeah. you know, the help she needs. Uh, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, there isn't much to the character, but I just really like Susan Blue. I just think she's she's yeah. cool. Yeah, like, she's she's good. She's likable. Yeah, for like the, what she's given, because I mean, yeah. for like half of the film, she's literally just calling out her daughter's name, and yeah. you know, which. But again, you can unpack that and say. She's put probably all of her eggs in this one basket of Cruz because, again, you know, how many years has has it been mm. since, you know, her husband had died? Mm. So that's going to be a lot of therapy, a lot of sessions, a lot of trial, a lot of error, maybe moving around a lot, who knows, to try to help Tina and it's nothing's worked. So there's almost this sort of desperation to keep her daughter protected. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, a, a likable screen presence, a very mum presence. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very wholesome. Yeah, very wholesome. Like, she plays the role... Like as is, like, yeah, and she does the what, what is required of her, and yes. it works well enough. Yeah, I, think. I mean, in terms of like her her character, I think you can understand her motivation the whole way through. Yeah, uh, because it could be easy to make her seem naive or like just a victim of Cruz, for example. But I think she's more than that, and I think that likability makes us feel her her death and the manner that she's killed mm. not only a victim of jason which look we could probably see coming as soon as she was introduced but the fact that she was essentially thrown to jason yeah makes it even more tragic because Definitely. we you know had that the beginning of the film saying that she's come from trauma herself so you know there's elements there when you want to look for them but you know you do have to unpack it right because mm. we're just going through the motions <laughs> of these film, films they're in a structure that that they're in yeah uh can you have thoughts about any of the other residents or of crystal lake moment, any standouts or any weak moments at all some of them, I, do, I didn't even really know what their name was until just before they died. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of a bit average. I, I kind of liked, like, 
Eddie was very earnest and very sweet and, <laughs> yeah. you know, someone who, you know, is also a writer and yes. li- also likes the sci-fi. Yeah. Like, I appreciated... He's, he's our man, right? He is our man. Yeah. He's I, us. I love that, like, when when Tina first meets him, he's there, like, telling about <laughs> a story and stuff. He's the oddball that we hung out with at uni. Oh, hell yeah. And yeah. some would say, he's you at uni. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it was a likable guy. I mean, you did feel sorry for him when um, Melissa yeah, uses him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> When, you know, you know, when, when he, he dies, and and, it's really bad too. And, and he, does, he does, and it was sad. It yeah. was sad. Any any other highlights or moments at all? I liked Robin. She was she was really cool. David was funny. <laughs> David was great. David yeah. the greaser was fantastic. Yeah. His introduction. What a stupid place to put a lamp. Gets yeah. me every <laughs> single time. And what about after he and Robin have been intimate, and he's and you know the lights are out, and he falls out of the bed, he goes. Dark. Yeah. <laughs> it's dark. I just love that so much. Yeah. It shows right how to deliver dialogue properly. Yeah, definitely. To effect. Yes. So I agree. He's a really likable. He's good. Yeah. <laughs> so dopey. Yeah, like, he's so dopey. You can see that, that that man was high. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was he was on another plane. What a um, great performance. Um, <laughs> uh, Diana Barrows as Maddie, who was our like sort of plain yeah, Jane. Yeah, yes. So this is something that comes up every now and then, but not often enough, right? Okay. She gets offended when because they both want David. Yeah. And Robin was like, you just need a bit of a touch-up. Oh. And that hurts her feelings. Yeah. So she goes away. Kind of, I don't need a touch-up, right? She's beautiful how she is. And she's yeah, a beautiful young lady. I agree. She spends a, quite a bit of the film touching herself up. Yeah. <laughs> and then when she's done the makeup, she looks just like, touch up my ass. I'm like, what do you mean? You've just touched Literally. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. I was going to say that. It, Kendall, well. it's not said enough, <laughs> but it has been said. Oh my God. I don't I'm, see. That's what I'm talking about with the writing here. Like it's yeah. just there's inconsistencies like that, that just make no sense. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I adore Maddie. I mean, I, I like, I do still like her though. That's the, that's the weird thing. It's like, I don't hate her. I get, I understand where she's coming from yeah. and I hate the fact and like, I, and it's, I know it's a trope that's not really done anymore because mm. it's frowned upon, but this whole idea of you have to make yourself look a certain yeah. way to attract a man or attract a woman or whatever. Yeah. So it sucks to see it happening in this film and especially even more because it's done in a really bad way. But I still like her and I feel bad for her when she dies. Especially because she loses her earring. (laughs) Oh my God. Can I... What is the point of glass? Like she was wearing glasses and she looked cute and everything with the glasses on. She takes the glasses off. I'm like, we don't see her put contacts in. So I just make a... I just make a leap to go, okay, she put contacts in off yeah. screen. Cause like, and she, cause she's trying to look for her earring and you don't, there's no mention of, or any straining. You, she's just like looking and she finds it. And I'm just like, fucking, why do you wear, why are you wearing glasses? <laughs> anyway. The way she knows is like my earring. My ear- <laughs> I love this woman so much. <laughs> and I just want to point it out. Right. Cause I always just get a bit of a chuckle. I just like, Oh, I just love you so much, Maddie. <laughs> 
Because I don't know if it is the best delivered line or the worst. Or somewhere in between. It's somewhere in between for me. Do you know what I love is in a documentary with cast and crew of the whole Friday series, Diana Barrows is interviewed. And they've got sort of like little outtakes and stuff during the credit roll and stuff like that. But in the in the credit roll, she reenacts her losing her earring. Maddie's earring loss is iconic, Kendall. <laughs> and it's all because of Diana Barrows. What a brilliant sport she is. Oh, she Absolutely is. love her. Love, love, love her. But yeah, all round, I don't know, these... It's funny, with these group of kids, we, we know who they are because they're all archetypes. Yes, yeah. It would have been great to see them interact that little bit more, I think. But mm-hmm. it's quite... Not that there's a lot of plot lines going on, but, you know, because we're focusing on the Tina-Nick relationship, where's cousin Michael, Mm. what's Cruz doing, where's Jason, Mm -hmm. it can take away from the dynamics that these people have with one another. Yeah. You know, in some previous films we talked about how like a lot of the the, the victims I guess um, they're they're paired off they're coupled yeah. so we understand who they are and we get to see character and character development mm-hmm. whether it's extensive or not fine whether it's successful or not fine but there's like attempts to it we can see them through their interactions we don't really see it as much here especially because a lot of their interactions are all about them being intimate Mm. at one stage we've got three couples all having sex at different locations because it's like well now it's the time to do it yeah because now's the time for jason to kill you yeah you know so i yeah i with these with these folks uh, we know who they are because they're archetypes, not necessarily because they're fully fleshed out characters. Um, I do give kudos, though, to things like costuming, to what the actors do bring to the table, um, to the way that they might, you know, interact with props or one another. You know, I think that there's efforts here mm, mm-hmm. because I the script just does not give them enough to do no. um, or to interact, especially because you've got a party scene where they're all waiting, you know, for Michael to, to come. Mm. So that could have just been that little bit longer so we could see them interact with one another a yeah. bit more. Yeah. So that when they do get killed off, we do feel something. Yes. You know, not just be like, oh, you know, oh, that was cool oh, or that was sad. Like, But overall, they're a good mix of characters, I think. Yeah, 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 I think so. I think, um, I think one of the things that also suffers for them is the uh the way the film is edited Mm. um and paced i think there's a lot of like early on when we're setting everything up and we see you know certain people coming to the like michael's on his way with his his girlfriend to the surprise party and and stuff and like and then you know or we cut away from you know what's going with tina and everything to start meeting some of the you know the people that are already there Mm. and you're like and they're just brief moments, like they're just brief cutaways, and yeah. you cut back, and you're just like, "We need to spend more time with that," because now it just feels like you've inserted these two characters. You haven't really said yeah. who they are, what they're doing there, yes. Um, what's what's their motivation? What's their story? You've just shown us these, especially like it was especially it was these two, the two two of them in bed, like fooling around, yeah, and you're just like. What? what what's like going why on? Type like thing. why and then like the so, and then with like the ones camping as well like that yeah. that whole yeah it's just so i just i feel like if they if it had been edited a bit better like if there'd yeah. been more like you said like if we spent more time but if yeah. they lingered with them a bit longer and paced it differently or like had michael and his girlfriend get killed off a bit closer to 
the night of the party mm. instead of having it so far in advance and mm. then have all this other main A plot happen and yeah. then you've got the B plot sort of you know swinging through it's just I don't know it just it needed to be a bit tighter yeah yeah one last thing about casting to to mention was that opening narration and prologue yeah do you recognize the voice I feel like I should. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that narration's done by Walt Gorney, who we know is Crazy Ralph from Portland. Oh, you're so, kidding! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, amazing. So we had you know some scenes from previous films, uh, even scenes from the Part Six trailer were in there. <laughs> the uh, headstone exploding. Yeah, thing. That's yeah. from the trailer for Part yeah, Six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this was Walt uh, Gorney's final acting role. Oh, so uh, a nice, well, for fans anyway, mm. it was a really nice. Uh, sort of send off there and I think it was a really good summary of look what this is what's happened so far and this again like sort of how you've said you know we've had Jason's backstory this is film number seven if you're a casual viewer or haven't seen them all this tells you everything you need to know about him yeah so he's established yeah you know what I mean so and definitely by this stage he's already in pop culture discourse you know what I mean yeah but but I kind of like it I I don't mind a a, a, like a clip show summary (laughs) at the beginning I thought it was done quite well and it kind of sets up this ghost story element though yeah I liked it yeah a little little bit I don't know what did you think about the opening needed didn't it didn't work for me as well I only I only like the, the the flashbacks because it's been a long time since we watched part six. <laughs> yeah, so that helped me. Yes. in that sense. So you're welcome. So thank you for, uh, for oh, that. Oh, thanks the director. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank the filmmakers. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> but um, but overall, I kind of I kind of felt like I was watching a trailer for, or like or a mm, retrospective. Right. It just didn't for me. It didn't click fully with the rest of the movie. Okay. Like I just like it was well done, but mm. it just didn't mesh for me. Yeah, like as a sort of a, uh, as an opening, it didn't work. Yeah, well. yeah, basically. Yeah. But yeah, Alrighty. but it was still, but it was still cool. But the and then another problem I had was the tombstone explodes, and then like two shots after that, you see it still intact. <laughs> <laughs> like okay, guys. <laughs> Gosh, nothing gets past you, Kendall. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that may have gotten past you though, because of all the edits, were the kills. Mm. And this is what what we what we want to see, right? It's yep. what Jason is known for. True. So we'll get some background before we decide which of is our favorite killer of special effect, right? Okay. So the director, John Carl Beeklar, had fumed publicly many times since the film had been released because of the number of edits that the Motion Picture Association of America were requesting for him to avoid an X rating. So he was really annoyed because, you know, he's worked on horror films and he's amazing at special effects and mm. visual effects. Mm-hmm. All you know, all of the all of these things. He's like a master of his craft and the kills is where you get to show these off the most. And he had to trim, trim and trim. So he was always vocal about how much he hated doing that. Yeah. The studio has like destroyed the cuts, so it's not like we can get a director's cut with them reinstated. Oh, no. Yeah. It had to be submitted nine times before it could get to the US's R certificate. Far out. So it is one of the most censored entries of Friday the thirteenth. So much so, harking back to what you said at the top of the show, fans do nickname it Friday the thirteenth the No Blood. No blood, I was um, gonna say. <laughs> so it does kind of make sense. If we want to look at maybe a positive, probably the only time that we can look at a positive from an MPAA cut is Jason's most famous kill, which is the sleeping bag kill mm. that he has with, with the um, the female camper. Mm, mm. Benefits from a cut. Sure. From the MPAA. Yeah. And I say this because in the original filmed 
version, Jason slams that sleeping bag with the woman in it against the tree maybe two or three times and then she falls. Mm. In this cut, he slams her against that tree once and then she's dead. It's a lot stronger to kill somebody with one blow than three, wouldn't you say? It is. So but... <laughs> could argue, we could argue and you will argue against it, I could tell, that perhaps that cut kind of was like, well, you know, MPAA didn't want to improve the film at all, let's be honest. Mm. But if we want to look at, well, was it more effective? I'd argue yes. You'd argue... I Well, I just didn't like the kill. You did not like the kill? No. Wow. I just, I didn't like, I didn't, I, I just didn't like the way it looked. Yeah? Like, I, li- I like the, the, like... I appreciate the uniqueness of it being mm. she's in a sleeping bag. Mm. We don't see her, what like her physically really. We just know she's in the bag and he, mm. and and I'm, like you're right. The the impact of just one hit mm. and you're down. I definitely better than three. I'm imagining three in my head and I'm like oh, but I just didn't really go for it. I just didn't think and I and it probably is maybe due to the the censoring or the okay. editing that they had to do, but I just didn't like the way didn't work for you. Didn't wow. work for me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Alright, you're tough to please today. <laughs> Man can I can I can I rant about this now? <laughs> it's all I wanted to rant about. Yeah, go. The the kills I don't have a favorite kill. You don't have a favorite kill at all. At okay. All. I don't I have a favorite death and that's the Doctor Cruz because just he, because he's the worst yeah in this movie so not necessarily because of how it's done but because we just don't like the character no i just didn't like the character um okay. I, well because like you know he's a and so successful movie mm. yay, yeah yay movie because obviously we're not supposed to like him yeah but as you know i'm a big horror fan yeah you know you said it yourself we come part of the reason we come for these movies is to watch the the, the kills and and to see the creativity that, that is implored yeah and i know i'm not i don't want to compare to you know dream warriors you know mm. like we talked about that yeah. and how inventive and stylish and creative yeah. and just you know it, <clears throat> like really artful some of those kills oh, were uh, yeah that that movie was top level top tier so we've literally gone from top to bottom in my opinion yeah like just because like okay for well for one he, uh, we finally we got a scene here where um where, where, where Jason actually gets a machete, mm. you know, and that's like his signature yeah. weapon, right? And he uses it one time and it's fine. But then every f- subsequent time he comes back on screen with something, it's different. Yes. He has a different weapon that he's gotten from somewhere on around camp or around the woods. Yeah. I don't know. Well, there's a shed there near the house. Right? I guess. Yeah. yeah. That's where kind Ma- of how I explain yeah, it. Yeah. Where Maddie dies. Yeah. 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 So he's just, you know, getting different. So I'm like, that's a bit, that felt a bit much. But then at the same time, it was like, okay, well, if you're going to do that, we need to see what these these instruments are doing to these mm. people. So I was really excited when I saw him coming up with like this powered <laughs> yeah. spinny saw yes. to kill Dr. Cruz, right? And I was like, this is going to be fucking sick. And then I literally hid in my top afterwards because I'm like, I'm... I'm so disappointed. Aww. I mean, I wanted to see shredding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wanted. I went, we like, came for blood. We came for blood. <laughs> but like, you know, just and and like I and I appreciated Maddie's kill because there's you know a, a, a trope of you know 
arms crashing from behind yeah. through the wall. Like that's a great. Fuck, that looks good. It looked great. Yeah, I but love even she's the... clutching onto her high heels. Yeah, <laughs> bless her. I thought he was gonna like take one and like stab her with it. I mean, and then like one of, one of you know one of the characters she get I think is it Kate. I think mm. she gets the party. Yeah, the thing, party whistle type whistle thing, thing yeah. in her eye. I'm like, cool. That's kind of inventive. But then, but we don't see any of the gore. We don't see any. Mm. We ba- see barely any blood. The one time we see blood, and I can appreciate because it was used in the plot was mm. like when Dr. Cruz is covered in uh, Tina's mother's blood, yeah. like that works. But then it's like, but every other kill it's kind of cut away. And then, but then you still get to see like uh, Eddie's severed head yes. later, like later on. And so it's just, I don't know. I just, I was very disappointed. Like, you know, where you, I don't know. You know where I think you can really see the MPAA's impact on this film yeah. is where Amanda Shepard dies. Because Tina has this vision of it happening mm-hmm. and we can see her like being yeah. hoisted up and blood all over her top and everything. Yeah. And then when it comes to the actual thing, when it's convenient, it cuts. And, and this isn't the only time, you know, we can, it's with Tina having her flashback, I guess, or vision of Michael's death. Yep. That is more bloody and yes. really well done than the actual event because yes. you can't really cut away from that you can't edit that one down no yeah. and then even when he's like michael's lying there as a corpse in stuffed between those trees yeah. there's no blood on him anyway yeah he's just there and it's like and you know he's dead because he's staring into nothing but, yeah but like i just i mean i'm so glad to hear it was mm. i mean it, don't take that the wrong way i'm glad yeah. that it was the mpaa and yes. not the producers not the yes. edit. like it, it, it was out of their hands yeah that's right so that makes me feel better about it and i was hoping that was the case because like you know we've seen jason movies before that yeah. have shown you know people getting you know the, the mpaa gets harsher and harsher with um, these films but we can see why bleaker was so annoyed like yeah them. i feel his pain yeah i really feel his pain 100 <laughs> percent but there's nothing that you really thought, well, this was a, a no. highlight for me. No, nothing. I've got a few. Like, I actually quite like, oh, you know. Oh, please. You know, Tell, um, win me over, look, as, you, as you are known to do. <laughs> look, for me, it always comes down to the stunt work of Kane Hodder, who is yeah. such a seasoned and professional stuntman. And we can see it here. 100% all the stunts are him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, important trivia about Mr. Kane Hodder. Okay. Okay, the f- and I'll read it verbatim so I don't stuff it up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the film set a record for the longest unscripted, on-screen, controlled, full-body bone in Hollywood history. So to accomplish this effect, they used a rigged apparatus to actually capture the ignition on film. In that moment, we're actually watching Kane Hodder truly being set on fire, an effect which normally is accomplished the time using trick photography hotter stayed on fire for a record setting 40 seconds oh my god that whole sequence for me is a highlight oh yeah he's inflamed we cut away to tino's inflamed you know cut away to nick it's all of these different cutaways to make it even seem longer like jason yeah he burns for a while yeah but when we take all of those cutaways away 40 solid seconds of this man on fire head to toe the most that we've sort of seen Jason was, and we see it in that, you know, in the, the clip show, for lack of a better term, at the beginning is when he jumps out of the water and his arms on fire trying mm. to grab Tommy on the boat. Mm-hmm. This is him from top to bottom. Oh, and yeah. it's all Kane doing what he does best. So not only, and we'll go full circle with my love for Kane Hodder here, not only is he giving the, these emotions to Jason, like, you know, when he's frustrated at Tina because she's tried to hang him, 
a second time <laughs> or, or <laughs> yeah. multiple times anyway the the way his body moves when the veranda is crashing down on him you know to the way he's annoyed when when the mask is ripped off from him mm. using her telekinetic powers to this i just yeah i just adore it and i adore his performance and yeah. i just think the whole i guess well it's a basement the whole basement scene sequence there i just think a lot of work's gone into that and i think it just looks fantastic it, it, yeah that that sequence does come out very yeah. so, well so in terms of practical effects i would have to say pyrotechnics hands down um and i do also like it when um you know structures fall <laughs> <laughs> So when the you know when when Jason is covered with you know with a veranda and stuff like that, I reckon that looks pretty cool. Yeah, that's impressive. Um, and that wonderful and... cliché moment of his hand bursting through, <laughs> which you know we don't actually really need because no. if he pops up, we know. We know. But it's kind of cool looking at it anyway. I think it is. It is fun. It is fun. Yeah. And, and yeah, and they same for when Tina's dad, like uh, when he gets killed at the start, like the the way that you know that kind of collapsed. Yeah. Was a was a good effect too. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about Tina's dad in a sec. We oh. haven't really mentioned him so much. No. Because, uh, yeah, problems. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm interested, actually, talking about visual effects. But we'll go through some production trivia okay. and see what you think. All right. All right. Hit me. So, at the moment, this is the longest that we've seen Jason unmasked mm-hmm. on screen. Mm-hmm. And I think it looks glorious. Yeah, I it's cool. I think it looks kind of cool. The director, Sir John Carl Beekler, always referred to the movie as Carrie versus Terminator. <laughs> and we do have this sort of, you know, the unstoppable Jason. Yeah. So I guess that shows his mindset of how he wanted Jason to be, that he's yeah. this machine, really. Mm-hmm. Another nickname for the film. Fans refer to this film as Fry Gay the 13th. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because of openly gay cast members in the film. Oh. Yeah, so um, Kevin Blair goes uh, by the name of Kevin Spiritus. Blair's his middle name, so he's just changed it professionally. Uh-huh. No particular reason, I guess, to do his proper name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan Blue, who played Amanda Shepard. William Butler, who played Michael. Craig Thomas, who played Ben. And Jeff Bennett, who played Eddie. Aww. So there's a lot of cast and crew uh, parties, and I think these boys would have had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. <laughs> all, these, all, all these young people. But I feel like that this is a cast that got along really, really well. That's so good. Yeah, so it's affectionately known as Fry Gay the 13th. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Especially in like the, the late 80s. Yeah, you know, absolutely. To have that. Absolutely. Whereas, you know, previously in this franchise, Tom McBride, all the way back in Friday the 13th Part 2, mm. was the only openly gay actor at the time. So it was nice to see that sort of progress socially. Yeah, hell These yeah. actors could be that little bit more comfortable and be themselves. Mm-hmm. At the very end, when... We've got the firefighters and they're all doing the cleanup. That mm. firefighter who picks up the broken Jason mask mm. is the director. Ah, um, So we can see uh, Beekler picking up the broken mask. And I think that's a that's a conscious choice. I think we can all acknowledge it's a conscious choice because of his frustration yep. that he had with one of the producers. Oh. Yeah, Barbara Sachs. So, you know, she wanted a different vision for the film. She came into the film saying, no, we're going to make a really high quality production. It's going to win an Academy Award. It didn't happen. Obviously, in terms of edits, that's not what she wanted. No. Um, but I think they clashed creatively. Yeah. One of the main ones where they clashed was the scene involving Mr. Shepard. Okay. And that was at the end. Yeah. So she demanded that his rise at the end be reshot because the makeup they'd used, the dummy they had used, she said, looked both disgusting and silly. So what we have here is somebody who's been, you know, in a lake for what? 
10 years maybe, I don't mm. know. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe a bit less, but, you know, a substantial amount of time. Mm. doesn't look that affected by the water. No. At all. Not at all. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think his look could have been done better. It wasn't because of the director. He'd filmed it. She demanded a reshoot. Producers are in charge overall. Do we have any... I know we probably don't have any footage, but do we have any, like... Is there any photography of... None none that I've seen. Oh. But I will say, though, with John Carl Beekler overseeing it as the director, I'm sorry, it would have looked amazing. Yeah. Like, this man's resume, it would have looked amazing. Well, and the way he makes Jason look... That's what I, I was going to say. I'm yeah. like, if Jason looks that good, yeah. how the hell would they have stuffed up the way Mr. Shepard looked? Yeah, and the thing is, is because they, you know, we, we see Jason at the beginning under the water, mm. and then when we flash forward to where we are now we can see the decomposition like how yeah. great does that look yeah, so yeah. they've put that effort into it they right? have yeah um, and they would have done the same with him now if we want to go with things that are logical i don't know why you would with this franchise <laughs> but you know some people have commented that to sort of make up for his look that it's he's really just a manifestation of Tina's because mm-hmm. realistically he would have been collected from the lake. It's not that deep. They know where he fell. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, I, I, that's what I kind of thought too. Yeah. So, so to even have him in there, it yeah. seems like a little bit of a stretch. I mean, I can see it in terms from a narrative that it comes full circle yeah. in terms of we've put him down there. We've resurrected him. It's also closure for Tina as well. Yeah. It's Almost like redemption for him. He's protected his girl finally after being such a dick. Yeah. You know, well, but you, you know this, what did you think of the ending overall? Well, I was going to say, well, you know, what would have been actually really interesting or cool if they'd like part of the reason for, uh, you know, you just said closure for mm. Tina, right? Part of the reason of maybe them coming back there would be like she, after all this time, like she's willing to let go of the past, let go of her father and move on from what she did. Yeah. I'm going to put my dad's ashes in the lake. Yeah. And then you have him come up at the end of the film and then it adds that extra weight of mm. like, I've said goodbye to my father and I'm sorry Yeah, for what I did. Yeah. Like, you know, to have him rise up then would have been, I mean, that more powerful. I Because I don't think they do a good enough job in terms of, because I don't think Tina, Tina kind of accepts her abilities by the end mm. because you see her controlling them and yeah. knowing what to do with them quite well. But I don't think she really ever fully gets over what she did with her dad. I don't think we really get yeah. She gets that kind of a Do you think at the, at the very end, like her reaction to him coming up where she's just, there's a sense of release and relief. Did oh, that work for you or not really? I'm not, it, 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 not as well as it probably wanted to, mm. I think. Like it, it didn't not work yeah. for me, but I think I would have liked it if it had been a bit more yeah. impactful. But yeah. yeah, but yeah, but yeah, because it's like, well, yeah, I know we've just said we probably shouldn't, you know, expect too much, but like it is a bit of a stretch for him to physically rise up. So, yeah. Yeah. But I, but I don't know, but I, I like what they, I, I appreciate what they're trying to do with I that. think it's a cool gimmick. Yeah. For example, like, you know, this is the third time somebody has jumped out of the lake yeah. and dragged yeah. somebody under. Yeah. The most successful was Jason himself at the end of part one. Yeah. Mrs. Voorhees at the end of part three didn't work for me. I know that you sort of liked it more than I did. Yeah. yeah. Cause for me, there didn't make any, it took, at that logic this i think made more sense even though it doesn't but it does if yeah. that makes sense i guess okay. because it is funneled through tina yeah tina's powers sure, um yeah. yeah so yeah i mean like i get it from a narrative point of view of that sort of you know framing the narrative so i i can get it both yeah. of these men rose up from the lake both of them now return to the lake 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, because it's because it's like when you know when she goes out there and and she's thinking about her dad and she wants to bring him back, like mm. you know, and and I'm thinking, well, yeah, he, her dad's obviously not in this lake, so it's like, was she really actually trying? Like, does she did she actually believe he was still in the mm. lake? Like, is that what that's saying? She would have had to. Yeah, I think she would have absolutely had to because we know that she is well aware of her powers she doesn't like having them but she does know by this stage that they're controllable when she's emotional yeah and because she's feeling that grief and looking into the lake and feeling bad so i think she truly believes he's under there yeah which then sort of cancels out any other theories really (laughs) but yeah. yeah so i feel like it's one of those plot devices that if you delve into it too much, yeah, you you're gonna kill it. Falls apart. You're gonna kill it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But look, <laughs> I think the film has a place in terms of the canon of Friday the Thirteenth. Tina is a popular character. I think that there were plans to bring her back. Oh, cool. Um, and Laura Park Lincoln was happy to return. That didn't eventuate. We know that we're going to to move on mm-hmm. um, for the next installment. The film's mentioned in a few novels, American Psycho, The Time Traveler's Wife. Uh, So, you know, I think in terms of fandom, Kendall, it's held in higher esteem than than you find it, I think. (laughs) Good. Um, So, yeah. So I think you're on the outer on this one. Great. (laughs) That doesn't happen often. (laughs) Because I know there have been times where I've like been the odd one out on something and like you've been like, well, no, I think this. And people are like, even the fans are on your side. (laughs) (laughs) So we've striked out a little bit there yes. but um let's go through some stats let's. on part seven the budget was 2.8 million dollars and it took 19.2 million at the u.s box office grossing 8.2 million in its opening weekend that was higher than its predecessor this one opened at number one so nice. redemption for jason overall it placed number 53 on the list of top grossing films of 1988 cool not bad as of this recording friday the 13th part seven the New Blood scores one out of four from Gene Siskel oh. in his Chicago <laughs> Tribune review. What a surprise. What a surprise. Yeah. It holds 5.2 out of 10 on IMDb, mm-hmm. 35% on Rotten Tomatoes, 13% on Metacritic, and 83% of Google users wow. gave it the thumbs up. Look, with the exception of Gene Siskel, um, <laughs> the scores across the board are a bit lower compared to part six. Yeah. But as always, I'm curious your final thoughts and a score out of five (laughs) okay (laughs) look i i was looking forward to watching this because you know um being such a horror fan as i've said and and, you know i'm loving getting through both these franchises now and and seeing the change in the direction Mm -hmm. they go and what they try to do and you know and like i said earlier i appreciate them bringing in um you know they couldn't get freddy Hmm. but you know they came up with an original character here who had a supernatural ability that was enough to, you know, in the end win mm. the day. And I, and I think that was that was really cool. I just would have appreciated a bit better execution in terms of the writing, as I've harped on about. Some of the dialogue, you know, fleshing out of, of certain characters would have been more appreciated as well. The performances are, are what they are, some stronger than others, as mm. we've discussed. And, yeah, the editing is just it remains to be desired in some parts as well. And, you know... We, we talked about censorship. It's it's not not our, not our friend uh, as far as this film is concerned, not sadly. Another thing that kind of irked me about this movie, and I know it's of probably of the time 
as well. But one of the things I noticed surrounding like some of the sex scenes Mm. is that for some reason, when every single one of these sex scenes ended, like the, you never saw any man's ass. No. You always saw their, them with their underwear back on or their mm. pants back on. Whereas you're seeing, you're seeing breasts, you're, you know, you're seeing female, female bums, you know, yeah. you're seeing female nudity here. And yeah, I know it's the eighties. It's a, it's a slasher horror. Like that's part and parcel mm. of the gig, but like the glaring inequality in terms of the nudity is, is just I didn't I did not like that I just found it a bit and only not to say just because I I don't I don't like that it's it, it's unequal but it's more the fact that it makes no sense yeah like why the hell would David be getting out of bed mm. and have his undies back on before yeah. he does that adorable fall over yeah. you know like did, did you notice also with Ben when he goes out of like the the camper right. He not only comes out with his trackies on and shoes, but he's buttoning his whole shirt yeah. up, even though we we're just going to say happy birthday to Michael and then get back to it. Like yeah. it didn't make any sense at all. Same right? thing. Yeah. Like as even with David too, when he went downstairs to go get some food, like yeah. he, he completely redressed himself. Yeah. And yeah, I was just like, this just feels, it makes no sense. Like I get why the women are naked. That's fine yeah. but like why aren't the men also naked yeah I don't know. it was very very interesting to me i don't know i feel i, f- I found that a bit odd um, yeah but because you know. you know what though but i see your point because the sexualization of the characters and you know sex and nudity they, they're a part of this franchise they're a part of many horror films especially the slasher genre it's like a trope that's yeah. expected yeah but absolutely it still has to make sense yeah, that's... and we've seen it make sense in previous installments. We have, exactly. but yeah, but I do understand. I did notice that as well, though. I was just like, oh, look, these guys have got a lot, of, a lot of clothes on. Yeah, there's yeah. I want to see some arms. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not getting any blood. I may as well get some arms. Um, <laughs> um, and then, like you know, and then we have with the camp, the camping scene of like you know before you know our our female character meets her end inside of the sleeping bag but like she's like they're having this cute banter outside around the fire she's complaining about it being cold and sends him to get wood and Mm -hmm. after he's like suggesting that they you know Mm. find another way to get warm and then she sends him away and she immediately goes in and starts getting ready for you know (laughs) and i'm just like but didn't you just send him away and now he's coming back and uh, (laughs) i don't know that kind of annoyed me I don't know, there's a lot of little things I could probably go into, but it's just, I don't know. I shouldn't have expected more, but I don't know. And again, I don't know if it's because we're coming off of Dream Warriors and that movie sets such a high standard, mm. but it could be that. But but no, it, it, it all my criticisms aside, like I didn't hate the movie. Mm. I, I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad I watched it. It was interesting. Nick is the best. And I'm going to give this a <laughs> two out of five. <laughs> Wayne. Yeah. I agree with you that Nick is the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely is 100%. Uh, look, I have fun with this movie. I enjoy this film. I like Tina as a character. I love the relationship between Tina and Nick. It is interesting though when you talk about the you know gender imbalance, which we often see in these films, and it's usually to the detriment of the females. Mm. Not always, or not in all circumstances, or all characters. One thing I did find interesting when we think about our mate Gene Siskel and even his mate Roger Ebert. One of the things, especially Siskel would talk about, was that the problems that they had with these films are that yes, we've got 
you know, the killings of, of young people, mm. uh, males and females. But one of the things they really focused on in terms of the sexism that they felt that these films yeah. presented was in the killings that men are just killed. Women are stalked, tormented, then killed. Mm-hmm. Interesting to see in this film that quite a few men were stalked, tormented, and then killed, which mm-hmm. we haven't really seen a lot. A lot of them have these sudden and surprise killings. Mm. So this one sort of balanced that out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, So it was true. interesting in the another element that you talked about that yeah. it wasn't really as, as balanced. But it's something that actually jumped out to me, especially because we've been spending time unpacking these films and, yeah. and, and you know, watching and listening and reading feedback from, from other critics. So I thought that that was actually an interesting thing here. Mm-hmm. Even talking about earlier before, Nick's role, he just encompasses just a well-rounded masculine figure Mm. because he displays different types of masculinities. Um, And it was really just lovely to see. It it feels like that this film achieves some things in a positive way that previous installments haven't, Mm. whereas maybe it lets us down on some other things. It can't control those edits, so I can't actually fault it, even though we don't see a bit of blood. It's disappointing, so I'll just take it as an effective thriller for me. Just as much as I still feel like it's an effective horror. The reason why is because that boogeyman is supreme. Yeah. Um, he's never looked better. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He has performed immaculately. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate your um, feedback that uh, the confrontation between Jason and Tina maybe feels a bit repetitive, but I think that most of the time it escalates between yeah, them. Yeah. So I think just like it would keep building and building, building, oh, this doesn't work. Okay, now this, now this, now this. You know, when's it finally going to come to a closure and when can we put Jason to rest? Because we can't kill him, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I feel like that that escalates really well. And I think that third act justifies what you pay at the box office uh, to, to see the film. We've got some fun characters here. We've got some really good moments there. Overall... I don't think it's as strong as some of the other films. You know, I'm a huge fan of part six, which I just think was just pretty close to perfect as you can get for a <laughs> sequel. There's a lot to like about part seven and I like the world that it inhabits. And I think it's one that you could actually go back and explore more. Like if it was remade, for example, yeah. you could push it out to two hours without feeling labored yeah i I think that there's enough interesting characters here Mm -hmm. but for me the success of the film really sits on the characters of tina and nick and how jason just reclaims his stomping ground (laughs) (laughs) so it's three and a half for me on this one wonderful the Kendall, here we, we've gone. Yeah. Yep, we've gone. So you've said quite a few times that, oh, here we are still in Crystal Lake, <laughs> which surprises me that it surprises you because it is his home turf. <laughs> you know, but that's okay. No, it's that's fine. Okay. It's fine. Not judging you. Um, <laughs> but look, you want him out of Crystal Lake? That's where we're going to go next time. We're going to move out of Crystal Lake next time. (laughs) And we're going to uh, view Jason's last film with Paramount um, before he moves on to New Line. So next time, Jason will take Manhattan. Oh, (laughs) nice. Yeah. Okay. That's going to be interesting. Until then. Until then. I've been a Wayne Stellini. I've been a Kendall Richardson. And you've just experienced Redwatch. Cue the music. (laughs) <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> Indeed. Kendall, 
Wait. Look for your earring, I'll get the dip. Okay. Yeah. Done. <laughs> Done. Oh, the earring's in the dip. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> What's brilliant is there was no tonal shift. He's around the dip. <laughs> Best. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Bless her. Oh man. And scene. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs>